All right, welcome to episode 21. Going to start off with the news. So some people are getting concerned that it's uh, getting pretty easy to attack Linux servers online. And evidently a technique that's becoming pretty common is to use Shodan to basically identify vulnerable hosts and then sort of string that together through automation into automated attacks. So you find it's a certain type of system. It has a certain number of defaults for like usernames and passwords, or that system is likely to have um, a lack of patches, which has vulnerabilities, which you have known exploits for. And you could basically string all this stuff together and build like an automated attack engine. Um, that part I haven't really read anywhere, but it was a thought that crossed my mind till I realized I wasn't a black hat. But it's got to be something that a lot of people are considering and thinking about doing. And with the rise of basically uh, a lot of Linux boxes, Linux servers getting compromised, you have to wonder if that's not just uh, the use of tools like Shodan, uh, because it eliminates the step for you of identifying the systems. And you could use Shodan and its API for that and then just launch your stuff at the results. So pretty, pretty interesting concept, something to be looking out for. Um, so this next idea was kind of similar. It was another black hat idea I had. Um, it just popped into my head. I wasn't actually thinking about doing it. But one reason you should definitely check have I been owned and sign up for the service is... Uh, Another really sick methodology for an actual black hat would be to create a series of lists. So you create lists of security people and you create lists of vulnerabilities and you create lists of services like social services and banks and different types of accounts that people might have. Then you search, have I been owned? And you come back with a a list of obviously compromised uh, accounts. But what you do is you search for all the known accounts of these uh, security people. And it could be security people or it could be high, high risk um, people or high, high value people, high profile. You basically dump all those into have I been owned. You get back the results. Then you check the list of other services they are known to be using and you find compromises. Um, and if they're high-risk people, uh, maybe they would pay you know some sort of ransom for you not to disclose it or for them to get their data back. Uh, it just seems like a really nasty attack method for going after people in a really targeted way. Um, and it all starts with them having one password of yours. It's a good reason to check have I been uh, pwned. It's also another reason to have a really good password policy to make sure that if a, a password does get compromised, that it's not being used other places. Uh, so another story here, uh, another Dell root cert got hacked, uh, which is kind of disturbing. This is just like last week. Um, really cool story, ISIS OPSEC. Um, so operational security for ISIS, there was some uh, advice that was put out there that was determined to be uh, being used by ISIS. And basically it's like advice. 
So it's things like um, data privacy. Uh, you should use Tor, CryptoCat, uh, Telegram, ProtonMail, disable GPS features on your mobile devices. Um, kind of funny. They also mention not to use Instagram because they don't approve of Facebook's privacy policy. So, yeah. So that's another reason Facebook might want to increase their privacy um, so that they can get, you know, the uh, the patronage of organizations like ISIS. Obama wants to make it harder <clears throat> for terrorists to use technology to escape from justice. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's like the original writing, right? That's the original story. Um, I don't know what, what where that was, but uh, it, I, there are all sorts of problems with this. Like, I, I just don't, it's just so hard to say that we should uh, discourage or disallow the use of encryption because bad people might use it. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many analogs to this with gun violence and all these sorts of things that we want to use here, but it's, it definitely crosses into many of them. Um, now, encryption and guns are different in one key way. Um, well, is it really different, I guess? I mean, encryption is obviously more used. It has more of a use in a, uh, in a good way than guns clearly do. But guns also have a good use. Um, there is self-defense. There is hunting. Uh, there is, you know, a couple other sorts of things. National defense, obviously. But for an individual, though, let's just say, I mean, where where is the distinction between a, a gun and encryption? And if there isn't one, then do we allow both or do we start clamping down on both? It's an interesting thing. I'm on the security tools and encryption sort of side. I'm definitely 100%. You've, you've got to keep this stuff out there and available for good people to use. And if people are, if bad people are using them, then you got to up your game in human intelligence. You got to up your game in um, having a super high quality of living uh, worldwide to make it so that people don't want to do the harm, right? Uh, encryption is a tool that allows you to do harm if you want to. Uh, we should be making it so that fewer people want to do harm. <clears throat> That's the actual solution. And stopping the tools is not really addressing that. Uh, Department of Homeland Security is giving companies free penetration tests. So they have a, a whole program out there that looks for critical infrastructure and is reaching out to them and saying, hey, do you want a pen test? Um, I think what's actually being done is kind of like a Nessus scan with maybe a little bit of manual work. But uh, yeah, it's it's not uh, super in-depth, but it's at least interesting that they, have, they care enough to have a program around it. Um, I don't know much how, how much throughput they're putting through it, but it's uh, interesting. Uh, issues in Honeywell gas detectors, um, vulnerabilities like path traversal, clear text passwords found, just uh, more examples of IoT, ICS, SCADA systems having some serious issues. Uh, United Arab Emirates, UAE Bank, 
declines to pay a ransom. So they got compromised, uh, got popped, got a ransom put on them. And they're like, yep, we don't cooperate with terrorists. And uh, sure enough, they released all the data. So this is a good example of, um, you know, there is a there is a bite behind the bark in a lot of these cases. And in this case, uh, they got bitten. Swift, the Apple language, is now open source. It's pretty cool. Um, if you're not al already aware, Amazon now has two-factor authentication available. Uh, Troy Hunt did a cool article on uh, credit freeze versus credit monitoring. And basically the topic was that uh, credit monitoring is extremely uh, ineffective. It doesn't really stop anything from happening. Uh, in fact, it could just be... And my big problem with it is it's so many steps. There's lots of friction involved. Um, it costs, you know, a decent amount of money. You don't know when it's on and off. It's hard to turn on. It's hard to turn off. It's generally crappy for a number of reasons, but it's also purely a detective control. It's like, hey, guess what? Someone just messed up your credit. Oh, well, that's cool. I mean, I wish it would have told me beforehand so we could have avoided messing up your credit. And that's when this concept comes in of credit freeze, which is if you feel like you're not going to be doing much activity or you feel you're at particular risk for whatever reason, you can institute a credit freeze, which basically locks down any identity events on, on your accounts and just says, look, no, you cannot get a mortgage. You cannot get a new credit card. You cannot do any of this stuff. Um, and you have to explicitly go in with a very high bar of authentication to turn it off. And it is a preventative control. It stops the stuff uh, largely. So um, definitely worth looking into if you need an actual prevention instead of a detection. Uh, thousands of IoT devices sharing the same SSH keys. Um, that's a problem, especially when you have something like Shodan, like we were talking about before, where you could just go and find these devices. Um, so you get this list of here's 15 devices. There's tens of thousands of each of them, and you know they're sharing these keys, and you have the other side of the key. Now you could just start automating uh, the exploitation of these boxes, or at least getting access to them and doing whatever with them, adding them to a botnet or whatever. Uh, many people are predicting that 2016 is the year that Apple gets targeted um, on mass by a lot more attackers. Um, I, it feels kind of right. I mean, I feel like Apple is moving, even though the numbers are still pretty small, it's moving into being pretty mainstream. And as that happens, the scrutiny will increase. Um, very early in my career, like, you know, a couple years in, I probably would have believed naively that Apple is just better. Oh, it's just better because I'm a fanboy and it's just better and all that scrutiny won't matter. Um, I was like that about Firefox, actually. I was so like religiously anti-IE and I was religiously pro-Firefox. And uh, I just got my beliefs handed to me, basically, uh, because as Firefox got more and more popular, it just got repeatedly compromised uh, in, in a really nasty sort of way. And I, I kind of learned my lesson there that 
you know, how much you like something and how fanboyism and all that sort of stuff. It's, it doesn't really reflect reality. And the truth is that scrutiny uh, really does expose a lot of flaws. And you should just assume that those flaws are there and that uh, they will be exposed. So th that's the sort of take I'm going to have going into 2016 or whatever, wh whatever year it becomes uh, sort of a tipping point for more and more scrutiny. I think we will start to see a lot more uh, exposure of flaws in Apple stuff. And I think a large, in large part, it's going to be in things that have been there for a very, very long time and didn't have a similar scrutiny put into the security of the system, uh, which would be, you know, OS 10 and maybe iOS, uh, but less so for iOS. But things like o OS 10 that have been around for a long time and a lot of surface area in there was built without security consideration or not as much. So those sorts of things will fall over pretty easily. I think for new stuff like um, backend Apple services and you know iCloud and stuff like that, they were already forged in a high scrutiny area. So I, I don't think those will start falling. Um, I think those are being built pretty safely, but uh, be interesting to see what happens uh, with Apple vulnerabilities overall as the scrutiny goes up. Um, engine immobilizers hackable over the internet. So this goes back to the whole IoT, ICS, SCADA stuff. Um, engine immobilizers, that's, um, it's not a minor thing. It, uh, from the name, it immobilizes engines. So that seems like it could be a problem. Uh, especially since you can hook airplanes up to the internet. I'm not saying that's the case in, in this situation, but uh, it's the type of thing you have to consider, right? IoT, everything's connected. The question is, what is the functionality? What is the surface area? You know, and how do you protect it? So moving into announcements, um, I'll be speaking at OWASP California at the end of January down in Santa Monica. Going to be talking about uh, a tool for uh, basically adaptive testing methodology. And that's all I'll really say about it. It's going to be somewhat of a reveal, assuming I'm uh, successful in building what I want to build here. Um, also currently working on an ICS uh SCADA primer uh, to put under the study section of the site. Also working on one on uh, web APIs as well. So that should be fun. And uh, <clears throat> on productivity, I'm trying to close out every every podcast with like something that could help um, get you going for the week or whatever. But um, <clears throat> I want to talk about this concept of algorithmic learning. I think I touched on it last time, but just want to make sure Basically, the idea is that with algorithmic learning, it's taking knowledge that you gather from reading, from watching presentations, from having good conversations, and it's incorporating it into an updated methodology for how you do this given thing. So the alternative is to just hear and listen to and absorb lots of different things. And then when it comes time to perform your task, like testing a web app, you know that you've seen 50 different presentations and read three books on it, but you can't really do anything different than what you were going to do three years ago. 
Because at the moment that you need the new step, you don't have time to go and research those 50 presentations, right? So you didn't really gain that much by listening to those presentations. Like how many DEF CONs have you been to? And if you're going to test a web app tomorrow, can you use that knowledge that you learned? In most cases, you can't because you just can't remember at the right time. Now you get some benefit, it changes your philosophy and you might think about it differently. So it's not like you're not getting anything from it, but I'm proposing a better way of doing it, which is to have first, first step is you have to have a methodology for doing uh, something like testing a web app or making the perfect pancake, right? Once you have that methodology, when you go into a talk about web methodology and you're parsing it, update your system for doing it. Change step seven out with this better step seven. Move step nine to step three because that's what you learned. And when you're done, you will actually have a methodology that is improved based on the input that you received, right? And GitHub is a great way to do this. I have a personal GitHub that I have like a bucket list in. I have my daily routine in there, all sorts of different things. Um, GitHub is great because code repositories, they want you to track changes. So you have commit messages. So you can put in there, you know, DEF CON 97, I learned this. And uh, I changed this step out for this step because I learned from, you know, so-and-so that this is a better way to do it. And then over time, looking at your commit messages, you can see sort of the evolution of the methodology and how you got from what it used to be to what it is now. So highly uh, recommend sort of looking into how you can use this concept of algorithmic learning to uh, improve what you do every day. All right, that's it for episode 21. I will see you next time.